Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hey guys, it's your homegirls here. We are live today with our favorite EXP real estate agent, Kevin Kaufman. Thanks for coming today. How's it going? I'm so glad to finally be here. I've been, I've been waiting for this day to record this episode. Uh, so have we. We are so excited <laughs> to have you. So Kevin is the co-founder of Group 4610, Next Level Agents, and uh, they run the podcast, The Kevin and Fred Show. You guys should check it out. They've got tons of great content. Super weird. I listened to it in the shower, but it's the truth. So, oh, whoa. Hashtag, that's what she said. Uh, it's the truth. I listened to you guys in the shower. So there it is. So um, Kevin, give us a little bit of your background for those of us that don't know you. Oi, uh, should we do like the, like the elevator speech? Um, so I got licensed in 2007. So I'm based here in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, technically Tempe is where I'm sitting right now. I uh, got licensed in 07 which was our market was falling apart in 07. I literally had friends try to talk me out of getting into real estate, which if you know anything about me, if you tell me not to do something, that pretty much just guarantees that I'm going to do it. So I went full force ahead, sold. Uh, this is a kind of a funny story other than nothing more than it's funny. And, I st- but we're st- and we're still friends. My best friend, I sold him. Uh, he was my first client. I sold him and his fiance a house after showing them, I think it was 56 and I'm almost over it. 12 and a half, almost 13 years later, I'm almost over having to show them over 50 houses. Um, I still remind him from time to time. So that was like kind of traumatizing. So, so when I had the chance to do short sales, which was like two transactions later, I was like, this is so much easier than work with buyers. So like literally my third transaction ever was a short sale. And I was like to tell people probably, I don't know, 99% of the next thousand transactions I did were short sales. Like that is my, I've got a business partner, Fred Weaver. Him and I started officially working together uh, in February of 2008. And we just, we built our business around short sales. We didn't necessarily try to get into business with each other. We were just trying to survive. We were both doing short sales. We were both working on them from home, dealing with banks, dealing with the nonsense of banks. We'd both been employing his little brother as an assistant who to this day likes to take credit for starting group 4610. If you ask him, he'll say, I started this. Um, So we started, we just started doing short, we just shared an office, shared the expense of his brother and went to town, incentivized each other to help help the other person on their short sales. Um, One unique thing because it's a partnership and I get asked about that a lot. I'll throw this in is we were not equal partners for years. It probably took, three and a half years for us to become equal 50-50 partners on everything, Um, which we can go back to that later if you guys want to. So to fast forward, um, I didn't know any of you guys then. I don't know how, but I somehow in 2012 uh, decided it would be a good idea to take a job as the regional director for Keller Williams Realty in the Colorado region. Um, I really did have a good reason at the time. However, I forgot that I'm totally unemployable. Like I can't even put on shoes and long <laughs> pants or much more than a t-shirt. 
So I should have known. And after about three months, I quit. I stayed in the role for six, but I, I, I think I quit after the third month. It was, it was painful, but I learned a lot. And then came back to Phoenix. Um, by that time, the market had changed quite a bit. We started changing. So we, our team started shifting and we started growing. Found myself back in Colorado a year and a half, two years later, expanding our real estate business into Denver and um, then kind of grew an expansion team. And here we are today, 2020, still running an expansion team. I think we're in a total of six different cities across five states. Um, not nearly the big as in size when it comes to the number of real estate agents on the team as we were at one point, but still very much spread out, if you will, not just in Phoenix, although Phoenix is definitely the core of our business and um, trying to have fun. Besides that, host a podcast called the Kevin and Fred Show because I'm unoriginal when it comes to naming things. And I started a Facebook group a few years ago called uh, Next Level Agents. So much for the elevator speech. God, I talk a lot. Who let this guy on? <laughs> That's okay. So we were laughing about this the other day. Lin I was telling Lindsay, so I don't know if you remember the first time you and I met. You in were person? Yes. You were yes, in the coffee shop. No. What? You see, you don't remember. <laughs> this is a good story. This is a good story then, yeah, now that I you don't remember. Yeah. yeah. So you came, you and Fred were at the Littleton Keller office, and I was a brand new agent and had no idea that there were all these like, celeb realtors that we all <laughs> look up to at some point it was snowing like blizzard snowing and i remember that day flops uh-huh walked by and i looked at you and i said why the fuck are you wearing flip-flops no clue who you were oh man so at least i, was, I thought you were gonna say you met me when i was the regional director no because um, i remember gabe i think gabe was the mca then um Man, that was way back in the day. Okay, so yeah, if you, go on my, if you go on my Facebook page, I've got a picture from that day of my of my flip flops in the snow right outside your off right outside that office. So funny. So yeah, because we walked over to Virgilio's and had dinner or lunch right afterwards. Yes, with Megan and Brian. Correct. So <laughs> how did I forget that? See, I made such an impression you don't even remember. It, it's I just I was obviously I just was so thrown off that occasionally I forget something. It's actually really rare that I forget a face or a name ever. So especially someone who must have really flip flops. You must have really thrown me off that day. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the biggest questions I know that I have is your partnership with Fred. Can you talk about that a little bit and how that kind of came to be and what that looked like moving forward? Because you guys to me have one of the most successful partnerships in the real estate business. Well, effectively, nobody likes Fred and everybody loves me. So it works out really well. No, um, truthfully, like, so Fred and I, obviously Fred and I are friends. I met Fred 2004, 2005. Um, I know him from my wife. They went to school from like third grade through college together and like have a little group of friends that still literally all grew up in the same neighborhood. So that's how I met him. You know, it was like right when I was getting interested in real estate. So our, our paths cross. I got into real estate. I was interviewing brokers. He introduced me to his broker. I went and interviewed with him. I was like, he's a nice guy, but it wasn't for me. And then I eventually went to a Keller Williams office, liked what I heard, was like signed up. And I inadvertently recruited him to that same Keller Williams office. I really didn't know anything about it. I didn't know I was recruiting him. I just was like, Hey dude, I went to this office and it's like, I know nothing. I haven't even sold the house yet. And 
he ends up coming over to the same Keller Williams office like a week or two later. Um, we're working together sort of on a couple transactions because he needed my help. He was getting, he got married and went on a honeymoon that took him out of the country. And apparently at the time, blackberries didn't work in Fiji. I don't know. So he was like, I need your help. So that was like my third transaction ever was co-listing a short sale of his that I got approved while he was on vacation. So we kind of worked together, if you will, on a couple deals like that because I babysat his listings while he was gone and did a couple deals. So fast forward, what, four or five months. It's like January of 08. We're sitting down, having lunch with me, Fred, and another friend of ours. We're And a friend of ours, he's licensed in real estate but doesn't transact himself. And he's talking about wanting to just send short sale referrals to people. And he was sending them to this other team. We're like, dude, send them to us. Like, why would you even send, nobody else even knows how to do these things. Why would you not send them to us? So he's like, yeah, you're right. And then we kind of looked at each other like, why aren't we sitting in the same office doing this together? And so that was, that was it. Like we kind of started, we literally had that idea at lunch that day. We then, I grew up in Yuma, Arizona, which is about three hours outside of Phoenix which has the best Mexican food on the planet. And when Fred and I both love Mexican food. So we got in my car and drove to Yuma one day, had lunch and on the way just kind of like pounded out an agreement, like literally put it in writing on a Word document. We, I think we had to combine 10 or 11 list. It was 11 listings, 11 or 12, sorry, listings. And we agreed we were gonna compensate each other this certain way on these listings. And then going forward, you know, I think it was like anything I brought in, I got 85% of the income, he got 15 and vice versa. But we would split all costs 50-50. We had both been in some business relationships where we felt like we were the ones left holding all the responsibility, shouldering all of the responsibility. And we weren't willing to ever let anybody kind of live off of us again. So we literally just put on an agreement. It was really easy. And uh, we, we drove to Yuma, wrote it down on a, on a Word document, had some really amazing Mexican food, turned around, drove three hours back to Phoenix, sent an, sent an email. I think Fred emailed it to me. We agreed. And then every time we adjusted that, it was just a response to that original email going forward for, I don't know, three years. So we started off with like a, I think the thing that we did right is that we started off being real, real with ourselves about not about it never getting out of balance, right? Not one person ever doing all of the work and the other person kind of living off them. I think the other thing that we did is we got really freaking lucky. Like a lot of it is, we're, it's just a lot of dumb luck and we don't, ego just never gets in the way for us. Like I think some of the partnerships I see that don't work out, it's almost always comes back to ego or misalignment. Um, like somebody got into business with somebody they really shouldn't have, but they effectively hired it out. Of, they did it out of pain versus doing it because it felt like the right thing to do or because it was the right thing to do. So for us, it was, it was honestly, it's been really easy in a lot of ways. So I feel bad about saying that because like we, we only did a couple things. I think we did things that can help us, but we did, um, we did a few things that were, I think, smart by just writing out our expectations. Have you, I'm sure, read Rocket Fuel with Gina Wickman's book? I couldn't get through it. I know everyone loves that book and I could not get through it. I thought it was terrible. So I just put it down. I get the, I get the concepts of it because so many of my friends have read it. Um, and to use like the rocket fuel language, 
Like I'm more visionary. He's okay. definitely a lot more integrator than I am. That's what I was wondering. But the weird thing is, is Fred can also be very visionary. He just doesn't shift to that as quickly as I do. Or like, I'm just daydreaming in visionary mode most of my day. And Fred is like purposeful. Like in fact, him and I just got back right before we recorded this from a lunch um, with my piece of paper. Like this is a picture of a whiteboard of the things that we put on our thinking time. Like when we do that, like it all flows and, and we do it, but he's way more um, integrator than I am. And I'm, and I'm a lot more visionary than he is, but I would say he actually shifts better than I do. Why was the partnership, I, did you say 85, 15? I, I'm bad at math. Why, why was it shifted that way at first? Well, because that equals 100, 85 plus 15. I mean, <laughs> wasn't 100% percent. sure that that yes. was the right math, but thank you. So, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Um, so we did, we don't know. We just, were, we figured like, we really didn't know. We just wanted to try it out, but we knew 50-50 wasn't the right thing to do. And quite honestly, at that time, Fred had, of those 12 listings, eight or nine of them were his, probably eight, probably eight of those were his. So he would have brought in significantly more income anyways. Like it was just the fair thing to do. Like he, and he had done a lot of those were already like well into short sale negotiation. It was kind of like just kind of sharing the, sharing the love, if you will, with each other on those deals. And we both thought 8515 was fair and to kind of like finish that part of the story out. Over the next three years, we just moved it. Um, we'd move it five or 10% at a time. Like three months later, we went to 80 20. And now, the one thing we realized is we went from February 1st, we're not even in business together. We're not even sharing the office yet. We just, we had an agreement to rent the office by February 2nd or 3rd, whatever date it was. We move in. By the beginning of the next month, we're teaching classes together. And we knew that we would generate business because of what we were doing together. That was 50-50 from day one. Got it. But it was like for my sphere or his sphere, my past clients or his past clients, like, I mean, I'd only been in the business for six months at the time. I didn't really have past clients that could do repeat business yet. So um, that's just what we thought was fair. And then we just kept, we just inched it closer and closer and closer until sometime in 2011, we were like, this is stupid. And it's just causing more work for our, staff to figure out whose lead it was but interesting side note on there like when i say our ego never gets in the way um as an example we never once in three years which was probably see 60 120 400 transactions in that three three years together the first three years together not once did we ever argue about whose commission was who was the rainmaker if you will on that commission like we would always default to the other person so as an example, I can remember this one very vividly. There was a lady named Diana. Fred was definitely closer to her, um, and she was probably in his sphere. But I remember seeing her at an event and um, talking to her about her properties that she needed to sell. And that was it. Like, it, and uh, so, like, you know, fast forward a week or two later, Fred takes one of her listings. I was like, oh, sweet. I was like, you know, I saw her at that thing the other day that I was at with Mark. Uh, I was talking to her about that. He's like, oh, okay. And he just moved it to 50-50. Like he could have taken, I mean, at that time it was probably 70-30 or 60-40. But I mean, that I, I probably have 50 or 100 examples where one of us did something like that. Like it just, we never have once fought over a dollar and I don't think we ever will. That's incredible. Kevin, what, if you can give like a couple of tips for people that are looking at starting a partnership or a team, what are some traits that, that you recommend they look for in a partnership? 
because there's so many strong personalities. Do you recommend somebody with a strong personality getting into the business with somebody else with a strong personality? Or is there some kind of balance that you've found that's maybe different than what all of the books say? I think, I think the key thing here, and I can, I feel the same way too. Like you could actually apply this to hiring someone who's going to report directly Mm -hmm. to you. Okay. So what partnership or hiring someone who reports directly to you. So you're going to, you're going to work with them a lot. Um, I think it's important not to find your opposite, but to find who, um, I want to say balances, but maybe complements you better. Mm-hmm. As an example, I am like super low detailed. If you guys are familiar with the disc, my C is like damn near negative. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't exist, right? So I, I need, however, most people with a high C move way too fucking slow for me. And I just run them over. I could not be full-blown business partners or have a high C report directly to me if they weren't also a high D. And that's very few and far between. You guys probably know one guy like that. His name is Aaron Lobovic. And that's why we were able to work together for so long is because he's also, he's a weirdo. He's a D and an I, or excuse me, a D and a C super, you know, super high off the charts on both. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I, so finding someone who's compliment, like the best way I can say it, it's funny. She's now, um, she's, she's owns the company that does our bookkeeping or I should say her and her husband does. But at the time she worked for another real estate agent here locally. Her name's Christy. Uh, so we've known her for, I don't know, a good 10 or 11 years. She used to say that she was like, it's like you guys are opposite corners of the same brain. So mm-hmm. like we think similarly, like we get to the same conclusion usually almost always. And we typically also almost always take different paths. So I think that's important. It's not to have someone that thinks exactly like you all the time. Um, I think it's also really important that you look for someone though that has similar values and like similar vision for what they want in their life. So as an example, if he was like in coasting mode it were, and I was in go, go, go build mode, it wouldn't work. Um, so we're both like, you know, we're, so we're pretty, like we're pretty well aligned like that. It makes a lot of sense for us to be in business together still today, you know, 12 years later, um, because we still want the same things out of our life and, our, and of our business. So I think those things are key is having um, finding the right behavioral match again, not necessarily opposite, but complement. Um, finding someone who has similar vision and and values, I think, are probably like the key things. And then, of course, like you got to make sure that there's not a lot of ego. There can't be. I just there just can't be ego involved. That that ruins everything. Yeah, I think ego is the biggest failure that we have just in general in this business specifically. Like yeah. I always say, we sell houses, we don't cure cancer. Like what yeah. we do is super cool and super great and it helps people, but it's not anything that, you know, someone else can't do too. Right. Right. <laughs> on, the, on the flip side, like that's what I try to tell people, like when they act all crazy and they want to call someone at nine o'clock at night, I'm like, so I'm like, I took my phone number out of the MLS, like, I don't know, not even a year into my career. I'm like, there is no such thing as a damn emergency in real estate. Nobody yep. is dying because I don't return a sign call. Nobody is dying. Cause I didn't, I didn't get you your, um, you know, documentation a day early before the deadline, like get over it. Um, we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't operate on people here. What we do is important. I believe that, um, Mm -hmm. I believe, and I believe that we can do it at a high level that impacts people at a high level, but it's not like life or death. Mm -hmm. Agreed. A thousand percent. Mm -hmm. Agreed. When was your first leverage piece in play? Like, when did you guys hire first admin or first? What was that like? 
literally before we could even afford to pay him yeah. uh, day one. So we, so the part of the part about his brother, Brian, I didn't tell you is we just promised to try to pay him within 30 days, but no guarantee. We're like, dude, we'll try to pay you. But you know, he was a substitute teacher and a musician at the time. So it was like, it was like a pretty good deal for him. Um, he didn't have to go to, you know, he got to go to the same place every day. He liked working with us. Um, we literally had leverage right away out of the gate because we just both have impatience for things that we don't want to do. And um, like the last thing you should let me do really is touch too much paperwork. I mean, I can do it, but it just bogged me down. So we just felt like I, I was like, the way I looked at it is like, I would rather give Brian the first couple thousand dollars and not have, and, and have them than not have them and keep all the money to myself. That's kind of how I looked at it. Hmm. And then see, we, so we started working together in February. I think it was July when we actually hired our first like really talented, like been in the business. She was an MCA at a, at a, at a local market center there for Keller Williams. She had done the same role for like a prudential office. So like very experienced, she was an experienced transaction coordinator. Um, she approached us pretty early on that like into our business and said, I think I could really help you guys and it would be a lot of fun to work together. And so she came to work for us like that July. And um, so we, we hired her in July. She's like the first true, true, true leverage outside of Brian that we hired. Were you guys both married with kids when you started the team? Yeah. No, let me see. Um, we were both married because we both got married in 07. Um, and we both were married less than a year before we started working together. Were and you then, profitable right away? Uh, if you look at the calendar year, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, the reality is like, so it's short sales, right? It's, you got to remember, it's 2008. Mm-hmm. We closed 60 transactions together that year. 40 of those closed in the fourth quarter. So it felt like we made no money the first nine months of the year. Like it was guys, like I remember being at mega, I'm not even, I'll like, I'll totally share this. You guys might know Derek Gilbert because he lives in Colorado. I was going to ask if you know him. He's a good friend of mine. I yeah. love Derek. So Derek helped me negotiate my first contract. Him and I were in the same office together here in Phoenix. Um, Derek's a great guy. I love him. But so we went to, we went to mega agent camp that August, August, 2008. We had made, total that month, 250 bucks combined was a rental referral. Literally, that was how much money Fred and I split that month. That year was hard enough as it was like we were backs against the wall. Fred had millions of dollars in debt from some really bad real estate investment choices or speculation. Um, I was just in debt from like wedding and just like living the regular life and then quitting my job and getting into real estate because like who doesn't quit their job six months before they get married? And um, if so, you marry a Heidi, you're in for a fun ride. <laughs> right. So we um, we went to make agent camp that that summer. We had no money to our name, and like I had just bought our plane tickets on my American Express card, which I'd had for a couple of years. Like I always, I don't know why I just had an American Express card, but specifically I remember like I couldn't reserve a hotel room because they went from like I went from like having thirty thousand dollars of credit available to three to none, to whatever my balance was that day. Like for no reason, they just cut it off because that's what banks and credit cards were doing at that time. Mm-hmm. We literally survived on <clears throat> these gift cards that we bought for some clients that luckily someone on the team didn't, didn't mail. Oh like gosh. we got lucky enough, we used that to eat that week. Um, 
and we shared a room with Derek Gilbert. Luckily, Derek is so cheap. He has to share a room with someone. <laughs> um, and I was like, would you share with both of us? But the, here's the other really funny part. If you know Derek, he's also a really light sleeper. So <laughs> we're in the room with him and I'm like, first of all, I'm so fucking nervous. I'm going to snore or make a sound that's going to like bug Derek. Like, I love the guy. Like, I totally love the guy. But it, and here's the worst part. If there's only two beds in the room and they don't have any rollaways. So I'm like, dude, Fred and I are going to have to share a bed. So like, I'm, we're both on the corners of our bed. I can't believe I'm even sharing this like quasi publicly here. We're both like doing this and the, the fucking air conditioner breaks in Austin. Oh, so in August. And hot. Oh gosh. So I don't even think I slept that night and I'll never forget like Derek woke up the next morning. He's like, yeah, man, I was like, I can't believe how hot it is, you know? And we're like, you should complain. Like, we're thinking, like I want a free night in the hotel room. Right. Like, no, nah, man. He's like, you know, they're busy enough. So what, so Derek leaves and goes to the convention center. We go downstairs and complain right away that luckily they fixed it. But then we went and complained about, about that. Like they gave us a free night. So we ended up having to pay for half of one night. And then like, luckily Derek was like, just give me a check when we get back to Phoenix. Like not even know, he didn't even know that we didn't have money, but we were both like broke. And so like that worked out. Um, I don't even know how the hell the story started. Um, why did <laughs> well, I tell I mean, that I, that's story? What I, well, because I was asking, like, that's exactly why I was asking because I feel like people think about entering into a partnership and like, I, I feel like if I was going to enter into a partnership, I would be really nervous about, I mean, like regardless of the time in my life, like maybe skeletons in my closet or financials or like one, the partner that I'm thinking about engaging with, thinking that I'm in a better place and I can bring more to the table than I can. Like, I mean, that's, that's real stuff. Like I think outside of like a marital relationship, a partnership is about as close as it, it, as it gets. Yeah, totally. I mean, we spend more time together than we do with our spouses. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can see like, that's his desk right there to this day. We sit in the same office, not because we need to. In fact, we have a whole, like just on the other side of this wall, it's another office like that's not even used right now. Like we could have our, but part of the thing was, was what we realized early on. We did it cause we were broke and we could only pay for two offices. But, um, we learned so much about short sales because we sat in the same room. So it was like, we were both getting double the experience from listening to each, to each other's scripts, to the conversations, you know, we were having, uh, it's like, I almost always knew what was going on with his files. He almost always knew what was going on with mine. And then we had this like running conversation that would last from the day we got there until, until we left because it'd be like in between phone calls and in between work, we would just like pick right back up. So that to this day, that's why we share this. We still share an office because we get so much more out of doing that. That those like tough times probably bonded you guys, I would imagine together a lot because like two partners coming in together that already have a fair amount of ego or already have a fair amount of success. Like I could see that how that could be really hard versus you guys, like you scrapped it up together. You bootstrapped all the way up together. Yeah. We didn't have, we didn't have anything. Like we used to, we'd literally lend each other money to pay the, so that person could pay their bills for the month. And then the other person would like pay them back in two weeks like that was the first, you know, whatever, eight, nine months of our partnership. And then it was like, it's pretty awesome. Like October of that year, I'll never forget. I think we made like 90 plus thousand dollars of GCI, which was by far the most we'd ever made. And it just was like, it broke open from that point forward. Not to say that there haven't been hard times since, because we've definitely made our fair share of stupid decisions. Um, but 
you know, like I remember that it took that long, even though we closed 60 deals that year, it took a long time before we actually really saw any money from it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Special. Kevin, do you think that those hard times and that that time between where you guys were were in a tough spot to where you finally broke through, do you feel like that is that that sweet spot of when you learn the most lessons with your partner and going through all of that? You wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't go through all of that ahead of time. Do you feel like that or do you think that's Yeah, I, you know, I think that played a lot. That for sure like that has an impact to what degree I don't know. But that yeah. for sure that has an impact. Um, like the good news, like the one thing I always say, like uh, the other kind of advice I would give, that it kind of ties into the to, to the ego thing. I'm like I'm not saying that neither one of us have egos. We just don't with each other within our, within our business. Um, I heard Gary V say this. He's like the business is the boss, and we've treated it that way mm -hmm. from from day one. Um, so I think the other thing is is that we're no one we screw up a lot like the probably the thing one of the things that we do the most or the best is we make mistakes but the thing we have going for us is that when we make a mistake and we recognize it we stop doing that and i think that's been like the key to it it's just going well that is not working that's not what we wanted from this let's stop that and maybe go the other way and the reason i tie that into the success of the partnership is because it's rare that we don't have the same desired outcome or, or we don't want to take the same route on the, in the, in the few occasions that we have a different decision or a different desired outcome. Typically one of us feels more strongly about it than the other. And that whoever feels less strong about it always defers to the other person. Cause there's a sense of, I think it's probably more mentally and subconsciously is we know it's either going to work or we're not going to do that anymore. Or we're going to do the other thing. And so I think for us, that's, that's been something that's, helped us continue to like grow and not be afraid to make mistakes. That breakthrough point when that happens, I feel like a lot of partnerships fail right before that happens. And it's terrible to watch because you know, they're right on the other side of something awesome and yeah. they don't know it yet. Totally. Do you feel like you guys had that? Like, you yeah, knew we, it was coming? Uh, oh, we knew it was coming. Like we were, yeah, like you saw it in the pipeline. We yeah. dude, We had, we went from, not being in business together to having 50 listings and what felt like overnight by the time we got to december of that year we had like 95 or 90 some odd listings i mean that was my first full year in real estate and it was fred's first full year it was fred's first full year back into real estate after being gone for a few years uh running another business and so like we were like we could see it we knew it was coming i neither one of us had a problem seeing what was gonna what was on the other side of that but we definitely, we had our tough times. That's, that's for damn sure. And we can screw up a lot. On that though, if you had to pick your biggest failure that propelled you guys kind of forward, what, what would that failure have looked like? Or what did it look like? Going to, to Colorado in 2012 to be the regional director and run, running that region. Reason being, not because, not because becoming an employee was the wrong mistake, although clearly that was stupid of us because we learned a lot from that role. Um, we got a lot of insight. I created so many relationships with people that to this day pay off for me in a big way. Um, I have so many people in your guys' area because of that. Um, so that, but the mistake was at home. Like we left our team running without a clear cut leader in charge. Um, we just did a poor job of leading our team and what was really weird is that was our best year in real estate to that point. Like we sold, 
219 homes in 2012 when Fred and I lived in Colorado for, for six months. Like, like when I got back to Arizona, like I didn't even know what to do. I didn't even have a job in my, on my own team, but it was falling apart at the same time. Like our lead buyer's agent had run out our lead listing agent. Then he got the job that he that thought he could do it better. And then he quit like a week later, like, like a little, uh, like a little baby. I'm almost over it. Um, but like, we just did a poor job leading and everybody left us. Like everybody left all, we looked up fourth quarter of 2012 and Fred and I were the salespeople again for the first time in a long time. And I looked at Fred, I was like, mm, all right, I'll take listings. You take buyers. Mm. That's happening to so many teams right now. Mm-hmm. It like, happens. It's oh. crazy. It always, you know what though, that always does happen to teams. Um, here we are like, you know, we're 12 years into it. We now have the most amount of like tenure on our team than we've ever had, which no duh, 12 years in you should, but like, you know, our number one agent, on our team, she's been with us. It'll be seven years in April and I can finally count, you know, take me more than one hand to count the number of agents that have been with us for say more than two years or three years. Um, it takes a, it's hard to build it when you grow something, especially if you're going to grow it big. Um, most of us have a hard enough time when it's small, small is a little easier to control and build some tighter relationships with. But when you try to make it even bigger, which almost everybody does and nobody has any business doing, um, it's even harder to control and it's, it's way more of a, it's a higher churn. And so, yeah, in fact, I just wrote an article this week for Inman about like why, what you should, things you should be thinking about rather than just going big, like getting really clear on why and who you are and what it is that you offer, what your value proposition is um, to the consumer and to the agent, you know, just different things like that. So I, I see, I think people do it because they get, they see the people on stage, they see the people around them, whether it's in their office or just their friends, you know, they're kind of their crew of other realtors that they hang with. And it's like, oh, this, that's just the formula. So like, that's the formula for success because he or she's on stage. And so that must be the formula. I'm just going to do that. And so all these people don't ever take into account their personality, their behavior, and the way they should be interacting with their business. I, the way I always explain it to people is the first thing you have to do is, is decide the relationship that you want to have with your business. Like what's, what's going to be your contribution to and from the business. And then you have to build around that. And most people won't do that. Most people don't do that because they're just trying to fit a you know, square peg into a round hole. Right. Can you speak to uh, people that are in the trenches of that yuckiness, that horribleness that goes along with building the team they failed a couple times, you're up on the mountaintop, so to speak, like, is it worth it? Because that's a question that we talk about a lot. Like, is it worth it to keep pushing through? Is it worth it to keep, it's, it's always like, do I go for it or do I scale it back? Do I go for it? Do I scale it back? Like, is it worth it when you get there? It, I mean, I don't know. Do you ever get there? Like, well, like that's, yeah, that's right. the other hard part. Like, by the way, do you know anybody who's gotten there? Right. I mean, I feel like, like I there. know who's on stage, but do you, but do you know, do you see their financials? Do you see their personal life? And, well, yeah. and that's the other question that's been circulating quietly like in a whisper over the last year is like, how profitable are these people? Right. Like, is it actually worth Usually it? Usually the bigger the top line, the low, like I'll tell you at one point, it still made money for us and it made sense. But at one point, like one year, our profit margin was as low as 9%. Now we like, we made some very specific decisions. We knew we were doing that. I 
but, and we had, we had done that. Like we made the decision ahead of time of like, we're only taking this much money. The rest is going back in for people or systems. Um, so when you say like, let me go backwards a little bit. When you say, is it worth it? I'll put it to you this way. Like I'm, I don't want to give up my team. I love my team. I, like I've built a business that I love. It's based on the relationship I want to have with my business. Um, if I was starting over today, I would actually do it completely differently. I'm not changing what I'm doing, but I would do it differently if I was starting over today. So for those people who are like, keep running into it, I think a lot of times the common, the common problem is them. Like it's the rainmaker. They haven't gotten into figuring out who they are. I think one of the things, one of the things that I was fortunate to do is um, like them or love them. I really respect John Davis. He did a lot for me. I learned a lot from John. He was my boss when I was the regional director uh, prior to him being the CEO of KW. Um, and one of the things I learned about John was like being really clear on behavior, not just who I'm around, but my own from a, from a business standpoint. And then hire, you know, like hiring and recruiting around that. And I think that's something most people don't do. They don't take that into consideration. Um, I think the other reason why people can't get out of the, can't get out of the, um, trenches is like, it's monetarily, like they've built a lifestyle that requires every single penny. Yes. Like they, you know, let's say they start netting 300,000 a year, then like they, all of a sudden their life requires $310,000 a year. Yep. Yeah. That lifestyle creep sucks the life out of the business before yep. it even gets totally. going. And then they yeah. can never afford to hire the rock star. Yeah. The first time we hired, um, so the first like really big check we wrote, he agreed and we had to negotiate. We came to a deal and I would agreed to pay him 75 grand a year. And it was the hardest, I, that was the hardest thing to agree to. But I was like, we knew we needed it. We were expanding. We really needed the help operationally. But then, so like that was part of that decision. It was, that was the year we made 9% net profit or no, maybe that was the year before. Sorry. Um, so we wrote the check. But the, from the first time we wrote the check, I always say it was the hardest one to agree to. It was the easiest check to write mm-hmm. because his value just showed up and he was worth every penny and then some. Like we, we quickly gave him a raise and under, you know, it was like six months or less before he got back to above what he was making before he came to work for us because he took a step back for that. Um, but had we been in a position where we needed $250,000 a year or $300,000 a year each to live, we could never have hired him. And we'd just be, our business would look like everyone else's. And it still is to a degree. It looked like it's built on freaking duct tape and spreadsheets and horseshit. Like that's what most real estate businesses look like. Um, and ours is like a slightly more sophisticated, but not much. Like we still have our fair share of problems. But um, I think, yeah, I, I think those are the common problems that stop people from kind of getting to whatever that next level is for them. Kevin, I have a, a big question for you. So for me as a brokerage owner, um, hearing that you've had an agent on your team for seven years, tell me about that retention aspect because I feel like for so many people, the turnover rate in our business from a team is so high. So and high. It's so unnecessary. The longest agent I've had is on my team for three years, but my brokerage hasn't been in business for more than five years. So I feel like that's kind of an achievement for me personally. But how do you create that? Um, longevity and the loyalty within that without creating dependency. I'm not sure it's anything more than a little bit of dumb luck. And she, she's a great person and she sees our heart. Um, Like she, like we, there's been times where we probably didn't deserve to be in business with her um, because we're focused on other things. 
And there's been times when we've been overly generous with her. Like the one thing I, you know, one of the things I, I believe um, is true that I learned um, that I learned a long time ago from Gary Keller was get in business with the great people, with the, with the best people that you possibly can and do everything you can to keep them. Like do everything you can to create opportunity for them. Like I will trip over myself trying to do whatever stuff Piper needs. If she want, and for, so here's the deal. Like I know that I go to, we're going to go to lunch with Steph like once a quarter, probably going to have tacos, maybe going to have steak. It doesn't matter. It's wherever the hell she wants to go. And we're just going to talk and we're just going to hang out. And cause like, I know that's what she needs. Um, and I know that's what she loves. And the other thing is too, like for me at this point, like dude, she handles all the personal, all of my personal transactions that I would do. She does. Like if one of you came to me and said, Hey, I'm buying a house in Phoenix will you help me? Or if you said, Hey, this is a real important client. Like you can bet your ass Steph Piper is going to work with that person. Unless there's like some sort of weird personality conflict. She's, she's taken that like, cause I never have to worry about, is she going to be, she's an amazing agent. Right. Um, and she's a great reflection of us to the, to the client. And so we've just built that trust over time. And so part of it is dumb luck. And part of it is I really have always tried to keep everybody, um, you know, I, I know that it, I, we want to train everyone so that they don't need us and we want to make it so they never want to leave. Yeah. And take that's care like of your a, people and your people take care of you, right? Totally. Like yeah. that's, you know, if there's one thing too, I heard Keith, uh, or it's in a book that I read last year, which is like quickly become probably my favorite business book ever called The Road Less Stupid. And um, in that book, the author Keith Cunningham mentions like the a business's greatest asset is not its customers. It's actually the employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that. Why do you think that there's so many businesses within the real estate world that don't focus on that, that think it's all about just numbers and not retention? Why, where do you think that comes from? I think it's a mixed messaging from stage. I think it's the, I think it's a combination of stage talk, which I hate, which is all the inflated numbers and not, none of the real story of what's really going on. In addition to so many people who aren't really in touch with their business anyways. Like I, I can't count how many agents who said like this thing from stage and, or even just this thing in a, you know, in a circle or in a class around, I'm a, whatever, I'm a for sale by owner. I'm a cold caller. I'm a door knock. And like they identify as that, but really like 70% of the business is coming from a different source. They just have never slowed down long enough to realize it. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is like the overall, the people on stage um, aren't clear and or are not truthful. Um, I think that real estate companies in general have an agenda to sell a certain way. So that way there, there's other things for them to sell, right? And coaching companies do the same thing. Like there's all these, a lot of these coaching companies, whether they're independent or they're attached to a brokerage, like they've got like a system that they want to sell because they can coach and train to that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem, com- it's kind of like like, why I don't want, I, I stopped encouraging our agents to go to the major events because mm-hmm. I couldn't filter everything for them. Like I know I get the bullshit. I know when it's bullshit. I know when someone's not being honest for the most part, I, I can tell when they're not connected to their business and I can tell what's, you know, what's a shiny object and what's not, but for most agents, they can't. And so like I, so I had just, you know, I don't want, like there's, there's this filter there that I have through through experience that not a lot of other people have. And I think what happens is people just get mixed messaging. And so they think I can do it this way. They think they can do it that way. 
And the truth is they're not built for any of that. And they don't even have complete information, so they're doomed to fail anyways. I agree 100%. What would you tell an agent? What kind of advice would you give a newer agent that was looking to find a like-minded tribe of people to work with? Because once you get your license, no one tells you, you know, how to find the right brokerage and your right people within that brokerage. Like there's no guidebook, right? So what would you tell somebody that was going through that? So I feel like every agent is promised new training, new agent is promised like training and coaching, right? And to some extent leads, right? <laughs> yeah. I think an agent at a minimum, they should be asking for like to see it. Yeah. Like they should tangibly be able to see what that training looks like, what the leads look like if they wanted to, right? Um, I say that because I talked to so many agents who are like, they're ready to switch brokerages because they were promised X, Y, and Z and none of it has been delivered. Now, part of that problem is you don't know if that person ever showed up for what was available to them. Right. But the other piece is I know a lot of brokerages and teams don't deliver on any of it. They just yeah. don't deliver it. They promise it on the front side and don't deliver on the back side. And so the first thing I would say is ask like those important things, like ask, like, and probably check references. What and about like sure. a ride along, like a day in the life, like see what totally. they actually do. Yeah. Cause that's what I take my people on. Cause I don't want just anybody getting into the business for no reason. You know, I want them yep. to understand this is hard work. This isn't what it looks like on TV. Right. So. Oh, exactly. Yes. Fred and I have like gone the, we've gone the direction of trying to scare people off now. Yes. So like we're, we're now, you know, it, we used to have a little a different method of like, let's, they got to pass these two or three things, four things really. And if they do, let's give them a shot. And now it's like, they got to pass those things still. And now we try to scare them away before we'll, before we'll extend an offer to an agent to join our team. That's awesome. But that's how you get the right people. Yeah. I mean, hopefully like even so like no one, you never really know until they show up and I, okay. So here's another thing. That's, I think this is part of what makes the, the team thing hard, right? As the team owner now is you never know who some, like the truth of the matter is I call bullshit on anybody who thinks they can pick talent ahead of time. Yeah. Well, it's total. Yeah, absolutely. You meet the representative. It's luck at best. Yeah. You're meeting the representative, right? Even if you do, like recruit, like we used to do like the full blown recruit select process for our agents. So I'd meet them like three or four different times, talk to nine different um, um, references. Like I would do my homework before you, and you still don't know yeah. until they show up and then they prove to you who they really are. Cause, and I just, I gave up like when I started really recruiting for the team, when I made that my, when that became like my primary focus, like late 2014, um, I started meeting with so many people like early on, I realized like, I just can't, I can't be the crystal ball. I have to decide that my crystal ball is broken, hire the people for the people and then let them prove to me whether or not they can stay or not. Right. I like that. I do too. I love that. I, what you're saying, you're like, you're like speaking my mind. I like, I love it. Eric and I have like failed so many times trying to form a team together because we've gone through the disc we've gone through the training to hire people and then when those people show up and we think we've got that golden person they're not really that person yeah. and it's a letdown and it it literally drives me into the ground like you just want to throw your hands up and just be like mm. you know that's so true Kristen. like one of the things too we wrote a class a couple of years ago to teach at uh at the at the boomtown um convention called like top 10 mistakes for when growing a team or at the time we titled it for expansion but one of those mistakes and it's it's still true like we wrote this four or five years ago it's still absolutely true to this day 
is giving too much credit to early success. So like when you make that hire and they, even if they do show up for the first week and make, do all of the training that they said that they would do and make all the phone calls that they do. I don't even care if they pended a deal in the first week. They still haven't proven shit to me. Right. Like, let's see you show up consistently for 30, 60, 90, 180 days. When I see consistency for 180 days, that's when I'll go, cool. I like, you know, like we've got a newer guy on our team. He's 30 days in. He has been the most consistent new agent I can remember seeing since Stephanie Piper and Aaron Lebovic. Uh, and they both, you know, they both sold hundreds and hundreds of houses with us. Um, and yet I'm like, you know, the best thing I can say to him is like, dude, if you keep doing this in six months, you're gonna have a super predictable income and you're gonna have the, you know, you're gonna have the best career you've ever, you ever dreamed of. But I'm not willing to go put him on a pedestal yet. And I think so many of us do from early success. Uh, and I think that that's a, that's a big mistake that we make because then we get let down and then we let, we let our own expectations of what that person was going to be because we saw it in them. They're going to do it. And then we're like, oh, God, this sucks. I can't build a team or I don't want to build a team. The, but the, the deal is like teams include the problem is it's all about people and people will let you down. Yep. And that's guaranteed for sure. Yeah. Something that I found um, to really see like truly who somebody is is to put them in a position, in a situation where they fail, like you force failure to see what comes out of it. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's really the great equalizer. Like you can say what you want, you can lie on your resume, you can do whatever you wanna do, but I learn more about somebody when they're going through a failure and how they react and how they get out of it than from them achieving things all day long. So, you know, it's funny too, and, and um is during the interview process, like I like to, I've always liked to ask about failures. Most people can't even admit to a failure. And I'm like, cause they think it's, they're going to look bad. Right. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even care what you did. I mean, I might, if it was like super illegal or immoral, like <laughs> it's like minorly illegal, I probably don't care. Um, but uh, I'm curious about like, what do they learn from that? How do they, re how do they recover from that? Like, what did they do next? Like that to me, that's way more important than the actual mistake or failure is like, okay, cool. What'd you learn from that? Yeah. I don't want to be around people that just keep doing the same wrong thing over and over again. Agreed. So Bill, don't feel like you have to answer this. I will. <laughs> okay. What happened at Keller? What was like, what happened that made you leave? Um, how detailed do you want to get? Like I can give you the, the one minute version, which is simply, we fell out of love. I just looked up one day and realized it wasn't the brokerage for me anymore. It wasn't my home. I knew it and it took me a year to figure out what I was going to do. Like I searched hard. Like we literally spent a year looking for another brokerage. Um, or I could give you the detail, like some of the detail stuff that I just, I like. I, I just think there's a lot of rumors around what happened. Oh, there's, oh, I've heard so right. many things. I've heard everything from we were, um, we were fired. I've heard mm -hmm. that we got in trouble from our regional director days. I've heard that we were so unprofitable that we had to go to EXP to make money. Um, I've heard that, what was the other one? It's some dude, he's like a regional director and he like gets drunk and messages me on Facebook every once in a while. He keeps yes. referring to us like, his name is Matthew. I can't think of his last name right now. He's in Florida. Um, he keeps referring to like us doing something really bad or wrong as we like, I know the truth 
a bunch of guys as regional directors or something like as if like we stole money or something. So weird. Like I've heard a lot of rumors. Yeah, um, that's why I was asking. Yeah. So the truth of the matter is, is that I'll never forget the day. It was in April of 2017. It was the day I was in Austin with about 19 or 20 other agents in a mastermind with Gary, literally all freaking day with him. We leave the building before we can even get to the airport. They send out the email announcing that Chris Heller was fired. And earlier that day, like it was such a weird tension filled. Everybody felt pissed because like we were with Gary all day and he didn't say a word to us. Like there were like when we were at the airport, like some people were mad, like legitimately mad. I was a little more kind of like, that's weird. What the hell's going on? But earlier that day, like I remember raising my hand. Gary was telling us about tech. Like, so the thing that a lot of people don't know is like Gary's whole tech thing that he started talking about publicly. He was talking to us about it like two years before privately and making all the same damn promises that by the way, five years later haven't been delivered on. So like we're sitting there in the room and I just said to him, it's funny because this is real as of this week. I said, Gary, like, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to forget, I'm going to put my differences aside about whether or not I think you can do it. The problem I have with this is that you pro when I signed up at Keller Williams, you made a promise to me that it was my listing, my lead, and it was going to be, you would never get between me and the client. And I, I feel like you're changing that relationship now. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about it because you're, you're my brokerage, not my technology provider. Because I could call my technology provider right now. Like if they suck and they're not fixing something, I pick up the phone, I call them and I say, fix this or I'm not paying you next month. It's that simple. I can't do that to you because if I do that to you, you have a hundred escrows of mine in your control mm -hmm. and I'm not willing to intermingle those relationships, even if you could pull it off. And by the way, I don't think you can pull it off. And so, you know, we had a really respectful conversation that day in front of everybody. I'll never forget. Diana Kokoska yelled at me and told me I was thinking small. Um, and I'm like literally even Gary just had to tell her to shut up and sit down. I'll never forget that moment. It was so great. Like Gary and I were both telling her, no, you're wrong. Sit down. And he goes, you know, Kevin, I, I respect where you're coming from and you're right, but you're going to have to get over it. And I just went, okay, you know, I get it. Like we can have this conversation. I'm like, but you're never going to control my tech. You'll never control my clients, my data, but you'll never have, uh, to me, something was always wrong when you say, don't trust everyone else, but trust me like that. That's always fishy to me. And so that was the day I think things changed for me. Um, and about two months later, we actively started pursuing other brokerages. And um, what I realized in that process was there's some really amazing people in this, um, this, uh, in this industry that I always like took for granted. And I learned a lot of cool stuff in that process. Hmm. Thank you for being honest about that. Yeah. Right. And telling everybody. Right. Like it, it there's so many rumors going around and I'm, I'm glad that you like squashed them essentially because there's just, you know how people talk. Oh yeah. I like, I know, like I've, I literally, um, I've heard the rumors. I've like, I've heard a lot of them. I know there's a lot more that are said too. Like, I just don't care. Like I know who I am. Like somebody yeah. taught me one time what other people think of you is none of your damn business. And I typically, I typically abide by that, but not always. Same. Do we need a pause? No, we're good. No, we're good. Um, oh, no, we're good. Okay, cool. Um, you know what, though? Like, that's okay. It's so funny. I was so, I got on a, a Zoom to talk to somebody about eXp, a friend of mine 
who's at EXP with us in our group, um, had set up a, a like a three-way, uh, I guess it was four of us, like four-way Zoom, and to talk about EXP. And this person is at KW, will not say their name or anything like that. Sure. Um, team leader, I've known her for years, or she was a former team leader, sorry. I've known her for years, and she asked, like, and I thought it was like really weird, like, why are you, like, why do you, why do you care why I left, right? But so she asked, and I told her, and I told her just what I told you guys, and probably in similar detail, and she goes, so glad you shared that with me. And I go, how come? Like, we've known each other for years. Like, why? She goes, well, I just always, she's like, I totally get it. I see it now. She's like, I always assumed you were just being disloyal. I went, oh, shit. It never crossed my mind that that people would think I was just being disloyal to Gary. Now, a lot of people said that to me. Like, I get emails from team leaders all the time. I got Facebook messages from people all the time about how I'm disloyal. And I'm like, I don't know. We paid Keller Williams a couple million dollars in our time there. I think it was yeah. pretty loyal. Like we, 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 we carried the flag. I recruited a lot of people. I owned an office. I rebuilt an office. Like I think we did some good stuff there. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. And then there came a time when it wasn't mutually beneficial anymore. And so I exited it. Like that's how, that's how life works. Yeah, absolutely. It was just another relationship. Yeah. Ebb and flow. Yeah. So, you know, we just have to sometimes, I think relationships change and a lot of people will say to me, the one thing I will correct people on is they'll say, why did you leave KW for EXP? And I, I just tell them all the time, I didn't leave KW for EXP. I was leaving KW. Eventually I found EXP. And the truth of the matter is it, it took me a year because we never looked, we genuinely didn't look at it. Wasn't willing to look at it. I thought it was what Gary and some other people had said it was. I thought it was the people who that were there that I didn't respect. I have a lot of friends at EXP. Um, but I also had a lot of people there that I knew a lot of people there that I didn't necessarily respect business wise that I was like, Oh, if they're there, like, I don't want to be there. But then I thought about, it, I was like, there's a lot of people at KW. Who I don't like their business either. Like what, what does it matter? Right. And so eventually when a good friend of mine went who I respect his business um, and I respect him as a person, when he went, I was kind of like, well, I'm not still not going cause we're going to go start our own brokerage. Um, but I'd love to hear why one of these days and you know, we'll get together and like a few months later we had, you know, we thought we were going to go independent after a big search for tell about the end of that year, uh, which would have been the end of 17. We thought we were going to go independent. We started opening up brokerages. Like we already had four of them up and operational um, because we have an expansion team. We had shut down a couple of our expansion locations because we weren't taking them with us to a new brokerage. Like weren't like there was just some of our, locations were either not profitable or not worth the headache of the profit that they did bring in. And we just looked up one day and we're like, this is stupid. Like we never wanted to own a brokerage. Why are we doing, we're doing this because we're trying to escape KW. And it's, that's the wrong reason to do this. So let's reevaluate. And so we, um, we paused, I had a coach who I will not name him, but I will say what he said. He said to me, he's like, you know, you don't have to leave KW. Like you just, they're not asking you to leave. You just want out and you can play with this. You can hold the snake as long as you hold it by its neck and you know, and you realize that it's a snake, Like you just have to be careful about it understand what it is and what the relationship is. We're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And so we're like, we'll just figure it out. We'll figure it out eventually. And then, then we had lunch with Curtis like two months later or a month later, whatever it was. And it was like, holy crap. Like we went from seeing it, for the first time to moved over in six weeks and we would have moved faster, but Aaron Lobovic was in another country for five of those six weeks. 
like that. And we were so like, we, let's put it this way. He was in London. Fred and I were so convinced it was the right move for us. We almost flew to London for the day to talk to Aaron because we didn't want to have to tell him over the phone. Um, but luckily, luckily, it, you know, it worked out timing wise. So. I love that. Aaron, um, I, I remember hearing about you guys from Aaron when you guys moved over and I was like, what? SP? Like they left Keller? Like they are Keller. Like that's how I felt. Just like a total outsider who didn't really have any skin in the game with any of you. Like that's how I felt. So it's, you know, it's funny. A friend of mine last, I had a good buddy of mine was in town last night from Dallas and he's not in real estate. He was a client. I've sold a couple of his houses here. And, um, he, he told me, he's like, you know, I knew when you made, when you moved, it was a big deal. He's like, I even told Kim, it's his, his wife, Kim, he's like, told her like, this is a really freaking big deal. And she goes like, why? He goes, dude, like Gary, Gary was his mentor. He's about as bought into that company as you could ever be. Like if they moved, there's something like really big there. And I don't know what it is, but it's, I, I'm telling you, this is a big deal that they, that they would make this decision. I guarantee this was, this was not an easy thing to do. Um, and it like, it, you know, it definitely was for us. I think it shook a lot of people because we were so bought in for a long time and so part of the culture and still I you know I tell people like I was at KW for 11 years I really liked nine of those years like nine of those years were awesome and amazing one of those years was kind of like a little bumpy and one of those years I just really wanted to get the hell away from it um but overall when I look back at it mostly super amazing stuff and people um so I told you I wanted to talk about your wife I hope that's still okay I want to know about her like I just feel like they you guys have to be married to some pretty amazing women because you guys are big. And they at least have good senses of humor. <laughs> Minimum. Um, I was, the reason I was looking up is because I was like looking for a picture I could easily grab. Um, sure. What do you want to know? Like, do you just want me to exp- like overall? Well, I mean, I just feel like she's probably really the one who runs everything behind the scenes, right? Well, like, there's no doubt. Like at home, you know, she's like, she is totally the transaction coordinator and operations manager of the house. Like <laughs> that, like there's no doubt about, it. I'm a fucking mess. Like, <laughs> my, like if you guys could see my desk, I have a pile of shit right here. It's notes and mail and uh, my phone post-it notes. And then I've got like a Rubik's cube. Look at this just right here. Like in one second, I grabbed a Rubik's cube and two different types of massage balls. Um, <laughs> like, and just I'm a mess. Like I'm a mess. Like I leave a wake behind me everywhere I go. So yeah, she has to deal with that at home. Uh, and you know, she's, she's, she's a total opposite of me. She's quiet. She's not very social. Um, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how she puts up with me. <laughs> quite honest. I just asked because like, I know how hard it is for my husband to be married to my personality type. And I'm nowhere near like doing the stuff that you guys do. And so that's why it makes me, I just, I'm just interested to know like how she handles all this and the constant dreaming and planning and thinking and doing and, and does she sometimes. Oh, that's tiring for her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's tiring for her. I also think like, like early on, Mm -hmm. it was probably different. Um, you know, she still laughs about it. Like she was like, oh, I'm not going. Someone was at our house the other day and they're talking about NLA Live. And she's like, oh, I'm not going there. And they're like, why aren't you going to go? You don't want to go see like this event that all these people are. She's like, oh, no. And get in between like the groupies. She's like, not a chance. <laughs> like that'd be so awkward. 
for for everybody she's like i'm not and so i was like kind of laughing like she was there in the early days like when fred and i like wore construction suits to family reunion and with stop signs and like she saw how kind of how what a spectacle fred and i are um when when we're like in full-blown character mode and so like she's seen that she understands it but then i think once we started having kids you know like then like her her understanding of the business and like knowing all the stuff that goes on in it and just dealing with the craziness of it all. Like she's just way more removed from it today because we've got a now a five and seven year old that, you know, like she built this whole week, she built floats for my, my youngest daughter goes to a um, Montessori preschool and they had Mardi Gras day today. So my wife built literally three floats, like the size of a wagon. Like she built three different floats, like, Full blown, like one of them's a fucking unicorn. Aww. One of them, like a king. We love her. Yeah, she's super crafty. By the way, like super uber crafty. She makes things. Um, so yeah, but so I think she's a little more removed from it today than she was before we had kids. Um, but for the most part, she's like, yeah, you do, you could do your thing, and then and then, then come home. Yeah. How has being a dad changed the way that you do your business now? I just do less of it. I just, I go home. Like I, like I always, I always joke, like I'm super impatient. So if you know the AVA at all, um, vector three is, is patience or I'm like, I'm ultra impatient. Like I'm a, I'm a one. So on my vector three, some super impatient. So I always laugh. Like when I, once she got pregnant, I was like, yeah, my kid's going to definitely probably get what little patience I have. So I was telling Fred, like the rest of you guys are fucked because like, she's, (laughs) she's like, what little I have, she's going to get. Um, have you figured out what like your kids are on the disc yet? Do you know? I could probably peg them if I sat and thought about it. Like, there's no doubt. Like, like Sophie's way a high eye. She's the older one. Um, Zoe is definitely not a high eye. She's about as low as eye as you can get. But she's one of each of you. She's super, but she's super dominant. Like, Mm. it's pretty crazy. Um, so I, so I think, um, I think that, uh, you know, that, that kind of changed things just like patience level. But then I just, I just kind of drew a line in the sand. Like I travel a lot, if you will, but I travel within rules. Like you won't see me travel. Like it's like maybe twice a year where it's three nights that I'm gone. It's almost always one night or two nights. And it's typically like, if I can do it in one night or even there and back the same day, I do that. Um, I don't work late. I don't work weekends. I might, I check emails and stuff on the weekends, but I just would rather spend time with my kids and stuff than I would dealing with real estate shit. Like I just, that's way more important to me. So um, I feel like maybe I've missed out on some things, but I've just, cause I've, I like, I don't go to, I won't go to certain meetings. I won't go to certain happy hours. I won't go to certain dinners. Like I don't typically go to dinner at home. Like I just don't do it for, I mean, for work because I'm going to be gone one or two nights a month. Like that's all I'm taking away from my family. So it did force me to get really good about my schedule. What does a day off look like? Like a, your your perfect day off with your family, what do you do? Like how do you spend a day off? Because for me, I don't know what to do with myself. And I inevitably, if I have five minutes of relaxation time, then I don't know what to do with myself for the rest of the day and go back to working. So yeah, I have that problem, like at least up here, like I can't turn it off. Um, so I pick fights on Facebook. I like to do that. Um, that's fun. <laughs> it's actually the joke. It's kind of the joke, but it's kind of one of those, like, it's a joke because it's true. 
is if I'm off for too long, like Fred always is like, dude, go back to work, like <laughs> Christmas or something. Like I'll just start, I will just start egging people on for the hell of it. Like that's how you know I'm really bored is I'm do because I do that for pure sport. Um, so Jess, are you gonna tell him about your uh, fake account right now? Because I totally feel like you should. Jessica, I'm just gonna say it. Jessica does this on a super high level because she created a fake Facebook account where she can super troll people and then they don't even know that it's. Fake. Oh, so I so want to do that. I've so wanted to do that like so hard, and I'm like, I, every time I go to do it, I'm like, eh, I don't want to make the account. Isn't that perfect though? Like it's perfect. It She's is. She's an evil genius. Right? You could make me an account. That would be great, and uh, and then gift it to me. That'd be really great. Um, so back to your real question. I <laughs> so one of the things I've started doing in the last like eight or nine weeks is turning my phone off for a, for a day. Um, we make we have these little like small accountability commitment groups in our on our team where where they run six weeks at a time, and so um, in those you have to make three commitments, three micro commitments for a week, and one of those has been quite a bit is like, I'm going to turn off my phone from sunup to sundown. Wow. Almost all, almost every time I've done that, um, I've actually left it off for like 36 or 40 hours mm -hmm. because what I found for me, the hard part is turning it off yeah. and, and, and putting it down. But once I've done that, I don't, I don't, maybe the first hour, I don't know, but like five hours in, I don't want to go pick up the phone 10, 24 hours. in, I don't want to go pick up the phone. Like I just don't care. Like there's been plenty of times I've turned it off on Saturday evening and then I didn't turn it on until Monday when it was time to go to work or something like that. That's me when I go on vacation. Like I'm not even joking. Like every single time it's, I'm screaming bloody murder. You can't make me go back. And my family like literally has to drag me. I, I can get like super way out of balance too. Like I, I'll get that. Um, I genuinely, I, I kind of like to work on vacation. So like, um, like at least email wise and stuff, but like, I don't, I don't, not like all day. I'm like, I'm talking about like a couple minutes, like respond to some emails and texts and then go back to the beach, go to the beach or, or go do whatever. But so in the summertime, like when we take like a two or three week vacation, one of those weeks I'll shut it off completely. I'm not doing anything. Like just don't even bother. Um, and then I also just set stuff up. Like I'll put out of office messages on my email. that says I'm gone for a month or something stupid like that. And so that way people don't have any expectation of me ever getting back to them anytime soon. So just try to do that. Like perfect day off for me is like get to relax, have coffee outside, hang out with the kids, go do something active, go, I don't know, just play with the kids, go hang out with family. That's about it. What do you watch on TV? Do you watch TV? I, if I turn the TV on the, the actual TV, it's to watch sports because um, the rest we watch on an iPad from time okay. to time. You watch as the Raiders. No one cares about this conversation anymore. Don't even start, oh, Jessica. <laughs> Whatever. No one even cares. No one cares yeah, about sports. You all watching. care. You're all going to care a lot this year. We'll meet um, you in Vegas for a Bronco Raider game. I'll, I'll, done. We're there. Yeah, Let's do it. Um, I am not a Bronco fan, so I'm with you, Kevin. Good. I am. I knew I liked you best. Um, <laughs> The what do I watch? For me, the best show on on all of TV is Succession on HBO. Yes, so it's so good. It's the best show. So um, Narcos, because that's back on now. I don't know. There's a couple different series that we watch. Like we'll just find a series from time to time and binge watch right. it. Yeah, but I don't watch that much TV. Like 
so there'll be times like if I'm in the middle of binge watching a show that we just found, where it'll be like, okay, we'll watch it literally four or five days in a week. And then it could be like a whole week where I don't even turn on the iPad to watch a show. Same. Or the TV. So just depends. Did someone ask where 4610 group came from already? Did I miss that? I've always wanted to know. I I have my assumption on what it is, but. Ooh, let's hear that. (laughs) Is it a Bible verse? It is, but it isn't. Okay, so, that's what I thought. It's from Isaiah 46.10. Everyone always like, probably like 99% of all people are like, is that Psalms 46.10? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, because if you go read that, that'd be really fucking weird. If weird. I read yeah. That, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, although, I mean, Psalms are perfect sometimes for real estate because if you don't read the Bible, basically all they are is people in the worst times of their entire life crying out to God going, please get me off of this fucking planet. So that does work for real estate sometimes. But okay. That valid. would be weird. I'll give you that when you give it that definition. So um, if you think about, if you ever read Stephen Covey's habits, seven habits of highly effective people, one of them is called uh, think with the end in mind or begin with the end in mind. And the gentleman who I told you Fred and I went to lunch with before, right before we started our partnership, he had, he was at one time like a Spanish pa- white dude, as white as white could be, was a Spanish pastor. Um, and he had taken class or maybe just read the book on that, that book and somehow put every one of those seven lessons to whatever Bible verse Stephen Covey had kind of like referenced in those chapters or whatever. And Isaiah 4610 was was beginning with the end in mind or thinking with the end in mind. And for us with short sales, like think about that. It's like I told you mm-hmm. 60 transactions, like 40 of them closed in the fourth quarter, but we probably had 50 listings by March, March or April. And so we knew like with short sales, like a lot of stuff had to happen between now and closing. So we ran out of for sale signs like in the first month. And I looked at Fred one day and I go, Hey dude, we're all out of signs. Um, we got to order some more. Do you, I don't want my name and number on them. Do you want yours? And he said, hell no. And so I said, well, we should probably think of something because I don't want my name and number on them anymore either. So he's like, all right, let's think of a team name. And I just went home that night and I thought about it and sent off like three or four suggestions. And one of them was group 4610. And as soon as we like in the email, we're like, yeah, that's the one. No overthinking, just went with it. I like it. Oh yeah. Like we literally just went with it. Okay. Last question. All right. What is the one, one thing that Fred does that drives you batshit crazy? Do I have to limit it to one? (gasps) Yes. There's more? (laughs) Just know he's going to be asked the same question. He always is. He so okay. So this is like a total short sale thing, but it still works for us. Like, um, yes, Lindsay's right. Ask me about that. Um, So he always goes to bad cops sooner than I can, and it pisses me off. Like, (laughs) it's there faster than me. Like, cause I'm he's genuine, I'm so nice. like, I'm he generally like the nicer one. And like, I'm just definitely more of a relationship person. Like I'm the forward facing one. Um, like if there's a social event to go to, like I have no problem going and I'm like telling, you know, I know that he doesn't want to do stuff like that. But if there's like, when we have to do good cop, bad cop, he will get there before I do. And it pisses me off. I'm like, dude, let me, I'm like, Hey asshole. I'd like to, I'd like to play bad cop from time to time. I really really hate this person right now. I would like to be bad. Okay. I, you should be bad cop right now. Let's give him a scenario and let him be bad cop. We, okay. No real talk. We all got into a fight last night. So why don't you bad cop us? 
and tell us to get our shit together and behave. Okay, get your shit together and behave. That's pretty easy. That's it? Oh, I was like, that's your back. Don't be dumbass. There you go. How about that? Like, seriously, like, we'll just get super blunt. Like, we're both like, we have a, Fred is just more direct than I am, but I have no filter. So, like, if for those of you who know the ABA, go back to that. My vector five is pretty low. Like, I have no filter. Fred's just super direct. So, he gets there faster than I do. And like you, Kristen, I tend to just say whatever the fuck I'm thinking. Like, it's like thought, it's, it's like thought and word happen at the same time. Like, it's, it's, like you're just as surprised by what leaves your mouth as else's. You know what? It's fa- it's funny. That's like I don't even prepare for interviews anymore. I don't prepare for talks. Like I'm in, outside of like knowing what slide deck to bring if they wanted a slide deck or what topic because the reality is is I'm just gonna say what I'm gonna say and we can all be surprised by it. I feel like men have a lot easier time because there's less emotion involved. When it's women, it's high emotion all the time and that's the challenge i feel and i don't think i don't even think it's high emotion i think it's women are supposed to be proper women are supposed to be like don't say stuff and when somebody when something flies out of my mouth and i just say it people are like that just came out of her mouth i love to like like that's my thing like people that know me really well know that like i love to it's like a challenge for me to work on the fly like right kind of my favorite. Like I really hope none of my clients ever listen to this, but after years and years of perfecting my listing presentation at one point, I was like, I'm just going to go in and make it up a new one every single time because I'm bored with it and I want to do something different. And when I'm teaching, I don't prepare because I like to just see what comes out. I feel like if I don't know, if I don't know well enough, then I shouldn't be doing it anyways. Agreed. Right. Exactly. Totally. Okay. Let's talk about this is last, last, last question. Uh, so when is this episode coming out in April? Like it's in coming April? out before Next Level Agents. So okay, so talk about it. NLA is Next Level Agents. So we have, which is a Facebook group that I started three years ago with Fred and with Cody Gibson. Uh, so I started a Facebook group and I, I texted Cody and Fred and I was like, hey guys, we, uh, we own a Facebook group now. So we, we just literally just like whole thought was like, let's just create a Facebook group that is a great online mastermind where agents can come and like get real advice, give real advice, no soliciting, like none of the spam bullshit you see in that group um, or in others. Like, let's just have a cool conversation. So that's where the Facebook group started. And then a couple months later, we're like, this is kind of cool. Let's do an event. Like, let's just see if we could pull off an event. Um, and I'm a bit, as you know now, like I, I hate stage talk. So I'm like really selective of who I would put on stage. Um, I've probably handpicked every single person, but like five between the three years that have, that have been on stage or will be on stage this year. So we had an event Vegas, May of 2018. It was like 200 people showed up, maybe like 50 or 70 people bought a live stream. Went well. The feedback was, this is awesome, but it should be two days. So last year we did a two day event. We had like 400 people show up. It was awesome. Like we, we had like sponsors, but a lot of people who didn't want to sponsor it, um, but they bought a ticket to the event. And before the event was even over, they were like, I'm sponsoring next year's. Like, don't forget about me. So we're like, man, we're really onto something here. Like this is going well. Um, and so here we are getting ready for NLA live 2020, uh, which coincidentally is the URL NLA live 2020.com, uh, which has got all the information where it's a two day event. It's broker agnostic. I mean, 
I was at KW the first one. I've been in EXP since the last two. It's not like it's like, it doesn't matter. We've got speakers from Remax, independent agents, KW agents, EXP agents. Like to me, it's about the content. Right. And most importantly, I'm a big proponent of agents should be for agents. Like we should be, we should be about each other and not, not the, not the company that we're a part of, not the colors or gang sign that we throw up, like whatever. Like it's about agents giving back to other agents. Um, that's like, I'm super passionate about that, about people helping each other. And, um, so that's what the event is based on is like real talk from people who know what the hell they're doing, who don't mess around and are willing to give back and won't sell from stage. Like that's kind of like our deal. So we got like a day and a half planned. Um, it's going to be April 23rd through the 25th, which is technically three days. There's some pre-event stuff like a happy hour, a couple masterminds the day before on the 23rd. And then the event is full-blown 24th, 25th of April, which is a Friday, Saturday here in Scottsdale. Awesome. We're well, super so, excited to come. Yeah, we're I'm all coming. Excited. I'm, I'm so excited you guys are coming. I'm so excited um, to do some of the stuff. Like uh, We were talking about the team stuff earlier. Like I, may, I just made a post on the Facebook group and sent out an email about one of our speakers. Is, uh, was a lady named Laurel Starks. I don't know if you guys know Laurel. She's in Orange County, California. Like She shut down her team. And just went back to her niche business. Oh, wow. She takes home 72% of her GCI. Good for she her. fucking crushes it. She absolutely crushes it. And she just had a realization one time. Like, if you haven't yet, go read the Facebook post or the email. Like, it's important to me to get, even though that's not, that, she's the polar opposite of my business. I couldn't be more different from her business. Like, I don't even know everyone's name on my team. Her, <laughs> it's like her and then two admin. Like, one of them's her dad, right? So, like I couldn't be more opposite, but it's super important to me that number one, not only is that business model that is so greatly different than mine, like put on a stage and given a platform, but also that like a super strong female is on stage. Like that's really important to me because right. I, I feel like, like number one, I have to make sure that my daughters know that. And I think you guys just get the short end of the stick. So, uh, you know, like in a lot of ways. So that's important to me to be able to like, control that like it doesn't matter like she's not in my coaching program i don't have a coaching program but you know what i mean like she's not in my coaching program that's not why she's on stage and she's not buying my my training course that's not it's why she's not on stage. all like reciprocity handshake. yeah she's on stage yeah. because she kicks ass and i think she should be highlighted and i think that that's an example for both more females to grow a bigger stronger business to do things the way they see fit, but also for someone who's just a real estate agent to go, you know what? I don't want to go the path of a big team. I can do this small and I can even do it in a niche and it's okay for her. It's it's the total opposite for me, but it's okay. So just having speakers like that is way important to me. You and I just had that conversation when you and I were talking about like breaking down me breaking down a team and going do I just go back to that so that's really cool to hear that because like we talked about the only message that's out there is bigger 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 and then you just measure yourself against like one not bigger bigger what what's the right like what's everything on stage is all about top line and it's stupid it's not bigger bigger. there's nothing wrong with bigger 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 but it's not but everything bigger 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 isn't everything right either um, better yeah. all the time yeah exactly like, comes with massive massive sacrifice that not everybody wants to make or realizes before they even start that you know like that was part of my beef at kw was like and even again i bought into it like i'm the bigger 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 again like i have so many people around me i don't even know everyone's name 
and I'm good with names, except for Jessica, apparently, that one time. <laughs> um, but like, fighting. The, the reality is, is that like, you don't all need that. So you don't need a MAPS coach for ISAs and a MAPS coach for leadership and a MAPS coach. Like, those are just told. What's funny is like Gary, like Gary mentored me and I'm like super grateful for it. But he was telling me what he was doing while he was doing it. And it's like, I didn't even realize he was doing it. Like they're toll, what he calls toll booths. Mm -hmm. There's all these little toll booths of little extra services you can offer agents. And I'm telling you from like a business standpoint, it's genius. Like I highly respect him for it. But what unfortunately what that does, I think is it creates the opportunity for other people in the company to make money by pigeonholing people into buying services and extra stuff that they may not need. And so I just think it's important to like, forget about that. And by the way, like when I think of like the standard of events, I actually think of KW, but the problem is, is it's tied to maps or it's tied to something else. And when I think of the other events that are put on, they're typically not very strong content wise for agents. And so like our whole goal was to like, it's gotta be really strong content. It's gotta be like, no, there's nothing going on behind the scenes. Like they're, they bought our stuff. So we put them on stage. It's nope. They have a great message and they can give back to the community. I'm pretty sure it was, I'm looking on my Facebook while you're talking. I'm pretty sure it was Laura Monroe who works for Inman. It might not have been Laura, but somebody, somebody really big like that just posted something about this, like literally yesterday about like, can we put, like, can we start vetting speakers who go on these stages? And, and even Justin Nelson talked to us about this the other day when we had him on our show, you know, he was talking about the fact that like, sometimes people will like sell new agents out of the business because they buy so much stuff to get started that they're in financial trouble and they can't even like move their business forward. But somebody really big just made this huge post that went viral about this the other day. Like, can we start vetting speakers for their content and not for what they're selling and for their real value and heart to the community and not just because like we want a celebrity. Totally. Yes, that yeah. should be done. That should totally be done. I think what happened with those toll booth things is it inadvertently created an anti-culture culture. And instead of us all remembering what it was like when we were new and needed help and somebody helped us, now it's, we're only going to help you if, and yep. that's not what the core of culture is. You know, you want a culture where people all want to help each other without their handout, right? Yeah, totally. Like, that's what, again, like, I think it comes, and I get you should help people in your own, like, when there's a financial incentive, it makes, I get it, it makes sense. I mean, that's why I run my EXP business, as I call it, like the way I do. It's because there's a financial incentive and you, you do only have so much time as an individual. But at the core of it, we're all agents and we're all in this together. There's more than enough houses for us all to sell as many as we want. And I think, I feel like we should help each other out regardless of, what coaching program we're in or what model we run and you know, whether or not we have a hundred people on our team. So she, it was, she posted, she, um, she was retweeting somebody, but this girl is saying, I was recently told that I couldn't moderate a panel because I didn't have enough social influence. I spent my twenties building experience, not followers. When did we start sacrificing content for influence? So I love that that's your message with NLA is like real content wow. totally Killer crap you like, know part of it is like yeah. i want to get names that i know will sell a ticket um but they also have to be they have to follow through on everything but then part of it is i want to make sure that people see people that they don't shine a light on people that don't have it because they're not at a big brokerage or 
their big brokerage that they are at isn't, isn't highlighting them because they're not buying all the extra stuff. I'm so like excited now. Like, not that I wasn't excited before, but like, I am super excited to actually meet you in person and hear these people talk because it, I, when I go to conferences, I feel like it's just not the real thing that's on stage. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like it's just a mask. So, and I, I can see past the bullshit, but I know a lot of people can't see past it. So it's nice to have that fresh on the stage, the rawness, the realness of what really happens in our industry. Totally. Like, again, like that's, yeah, that's literally the heart of it um, because we need it. We How many like people are you expecting come this year? Do you know yet? Well, so it's, we're talking about real estate agents. So expecting is a tough word to use. Um, <laughs> our goal is like six to 800 is the goal. Um, I think 600 is pretty realistic. 800 is going to be a stretch, but hopefully we can get there. Like if I showed you the chart, like unfortunately, because we're neurotic about it, like we actually have charts of when people bought the last two years. It's pretty much all the last 30 to 45 days. So we're see 62 days out today. Um, so can you give yeah. the, give the URL again? Um, I'll obviously tag the place for people in the video and the audio for them to go and get a ticket, but tell us how to get a ticket. For sure. Uh, NLALive.com or NLALive2020.com. Both, both of those URLs will work. Um, you can probably also go to the Facebook group, Next Level Agents, and find links in there. But NLALive.com, you got to scroll down a little bit. You can see most of the speakers are already up there. Not all. Um, it's got a little agenda that breaks out the three days and kind of what's going on those three days and some video from a few of our speakers the last two years uh, is up there and um, just some, you know, just some messaging and some, uh, what are you called? Like testimonials from people that showed up the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, NLALive.com uh, for all that information. It's April 23rd through the 25th. In Scottsdale, our weather rocks in April. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm tired yeah. of the world. It's definitely not cold. It's like 70 here. It's amazing. <laughs> Already. It's been like 70 all week. I'm going it's been like two. <laughs> As a public service announcement, I do want to let anybody know that's going to NLA Live that if you're thinking you're going to be sitting in the front row, you better bring your A game because the four of us are going to be up there fighting you for it. So <laughs> otherwise you might have a lap visitor. So <laughs> well, now you're just trying, now you're just selling extra tickets for me, Angela. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I am like, I'm so happy that I finally actually got to physically talk to you. I can't wait to meet you in person. Like what you have been saying today literally is on my mind. You were like speaking my mind and I love it. And I can't, I can't wait to actually meet you in person. Awesome. I'm excited to meet you in person too. It's, I feel like I already know you um, <laughs> like to the physical world. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I feel like you're like our fifth home girl. We appreciate yeah. you have been Totes. so supportive of us. And so just amazingly helpful so we appreciate you so much yeah i agree i mean just as a general like last note i mean i like a lot of kids that i knew grow up with like posters of you know celebrity like jonathan taylor thomas on their wall i mean i've been in real estate since i was 17 and i literally grew up with pictures of other real estate agents that i wanted to be on my wall and like to just meet somebody that i consider so prolific in the industry and so fucking smart and just like so inspiring like for you to be so cool 
that like you will answer your phone when Missy Webb and I three-way you for absolutely no reason. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when, when like in the middle of the day for no reason, like for a peon like me, like you're, you're just a really solid human person. Being. You're yeah. a freaking rock star. So Super solid human like, being, you're, so. you're, you're an absolute rock star. So I don't even want to hear that. Like, but thank you. I totally, I totally appreciate that. I honestly, I think about like, uh, somebody, I'm sorry, one of you guys were mentioning like about new agents, how hard it is. And like, I remember, remember my OP, like basically looking at me like, you're never going to fucking make it. Yeah. Like he looked at my shorts and he looked at my flip flops and he's like, he had that look of like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Um, Jessica was actually told that like literally. I believe it. I totally believe it. And I'm again, like, I'm like, cool. And I had my, my second OP. I moved offices within the first year, like cross town. And um, my second OP, like he, there was a little bit of that, like, and cause we caused a lot of trouble because with short sales, like we insisted things be done a certain way that was not normal. And so we got in trouble. Like we got, I got called to the principal's office a lot, uh, but we were never wrong. Like we are like, we, our shit is documented. It's buttoned up tight. Um, we don't mess around and we, we stand our ground. Like we really stand our ground. And, um, it took him about three years, two or three years in, he looked at us one family reunion and we'd like spoken like four or five times at that family reunion. And he was kind of like, he looks at us, he goes, you guys, I gotta, I gotta hand it to you and, and apologize. He's like, I had, I had it all wrong. He's like, you guys insisted on doing it your way. I told you were wrong. He's like, and clearly you were right. Like, I just want to let you guys know I was wrong the way I treated you the last couple of years. I super appreciate you guys. And I'm so thankful that, you know, like whatever, you know, I forget the rest of his apology. It was like super heartfelt. And I was like, cool. Thank you. And he's like a strong headed, you know, dude too, who also carved his own path and, and everything like that. So I think I just, I, th I feel like it's important that new to me, new agents are going to be the new, next rock stars. And while you got to prove to me who you are, I'm going to let you prove to me who you are. And, and, that means you might be a badass. Right. Yep. Well, you're a badass. Let's shout out my old team leader who has yet to apologize to me, shall we? <laughs> I think we should no, bring no, him on the show. Matthew. We all know him. <laughs> you should bring him on the show and then let Kevin be bad cop to him. Though. <gasps> <gasps> no, I want to be Matt? bad cop. Who was the team leader? Not Gabe. Uh, it wasn't Gabe? Good. Not Gabe. I'm at Gabe's office now that he owns. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Tell him I said hi. I will. Um, I'm, I'm I'll leave it at that. Not I know that I know who it is. Um, <laughs> and they should, they should correct themselves. It starts with douche and ends with bag. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of those people in our industry. So, but none of them at NLA Live. So come out to NLA Live. In, uh, yeah. April. We will be there. Awesome. Here's All right, guys. Kevin. Thanks, cool. Kevin. Talk to you later. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.